0: Say uh, here at Chattanooga Valley that the reason that we have a liturgy that that we walk through um, is that uh, in worship uh, the Lord is teaching us to feel things that we're not naturally inclined to feel, to to think things that we're not naturally inclined to think, uh, to say things that we're not naturally inclined to say and to actually do things that we're not naturally inclined to do. For example, to sing out the praises of a glorious God. We're not naturally inclined to do that. That we do that is itself a grace of our Father by the Spirit. Some things that we're not naturally inclined to do, we just need gentle reminders of. Other things we need... Repeated reminders of. Which is one of the reasons, for example, that every week we pray the Lord's Prayer. Because we need to be reminded that His is the kingdom and not mine. That His is the power and not mine. And His is the glory and not mine. I need to be reminded of that. One of the things that we've been doing at Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church over the last year or so... Uh, is to have somewhere in the order of service a hymn of the month. Usually it is a new hymn, but in any case it is always a hymn that we sing every week in worship for a given month. And the reason for that is sometimes it takes us longer to hear what we are not naturally inclined to hear and to speak but we are not naturally inclined to speak. This is the third Sunday of January, and so I know that I have sung this song three times. But aren't these opening lines beautiful? Dear refuge of my weary soul, On thee when sorrows rise, On thee when waves of, to- of trouble roll, My fainting hope relies to thee, I tell, each rising grief, for thou alone canst heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. Isn't that sweet? Allow your soul to hear it as we turn our attention to his word today. His word has power in and of itself. It is not power that is dependent much to our relief upon the skill of the speaker in front of you. It is entirely dependent upon the faithfulness and the power and the presence of the one of the spirit of the one whose whose word it is. This is the word of the living God. It comes to us today from Matthew chapter 18 and into chapter 19. I recognize that even in the way that Matthew has structured these things, that the two passages before us, the one on the parable of the unforgiving servant and the second with regard to divorce, Are separated both in time and space, and yet they come to us in Matthew's account right next to each other. And so today I would like for us to consider them side by side. As we continue to ask this question what does it mean to live faithfully in this new kingdom that is coming? By the person of Jesus Christ, what does it mean for you and I to live faithfully in this world as children of the king? Peter is grappling with that question as he addresses Jesus, beginning in Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so I know he used that tone of voice because that is my tone of voice when I demand payment from others. Continue, with verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Now, allow that story and its implications to resonate and ring in your ears as we continue to consider this question brought to him by the Pharisees. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give us Command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, So let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. A passage with lots of categorical statements and lots of overstatement and lots of exaggeration. We need the Spirit to grant us discernment and courage to hear as the Lord speaks to us. And so, Father, we do come as your children into your presence by your invitation To this, your word, the word of grace, the word of your love, the word of your justice, the word of your glory. The same word that took on flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would feast us upon the wonders of this, your word, that we may be changed. So that the world would know that you are the living God who looks and sees, who listens and hears, and who acts mightily to accomplish his purposes, the restoration of all things through your son Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. On June 17, 2015, a young white man by the name of Dylan Roof was welcomed into the prayer meeting of Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. At some point during this prayer service and Bible study, he pulled out his gun and he opened fire. He killed nine of the twelve in attendance that day. He willfully chose to leave one alive, and two were kept alive by pretending they were dead. When arrested the next morning, he confessed to the crime boldly, saying that he had wanted to ignite a race war. Which was a reasonable expectation, given what had happened just weeks or months before in other parts of our country. But his hoped-for race war never materialized. Not even riots. Why? In the wake of Ferguson and Baltimore with racial tensions at, at the time feeling like they were reaching a boiling point, why did Roof's actions not ignite a race war? Well, one reason cited by many observers and reporters was what happened at Roof's arraignment less than 48 hours after the shooting. While still meeting with funeral homes and making arrangements for visitations, gathering pictures of their life together, planning memorials and burials, members of the victim's families Made a point to attend the arraignment. And each of them spoke and shared the same message Dylan Roof, you took our family members and we forgive you. How is that even possible? But this Charleston episode is not isolated. Whether considered across time or across space, it's not isolated. Miroslav Volf tells the story of his parents showing up at the arraignment of the, of the soldier whose neglect and, and irresponsibility, an enemy soldier who was part of a regime intent on silencing his father's preaching. whose neglect and irresponsibility led to the violent death of Vol's then six-year-old brother showing up in order to forgive him. And in that case, to plead that charges be dropped. One of the things that we like to do, or at least that I like to do and my kids endure, is reading every morning from a little devotional put out by Voice of the Martyrs. And every day there is an account of someone who has lost family or livelihood or home or even their own life responding with stunning forgiveness Hundreds of stories, past and present, from throughout Africa and the Middle East. Almost without exception, the common thread is forgiveness. And it comes so quickly that it seems that it's instinctual and natural. In the face of grave injury and injustice, just this week, in fact, we read the account of a 12-year-old boy whose parents had been arrested and imprisoned and subsequently killed by the work of this one policeman. And he approached his policeman, this policeman, with a flower. The policeman knew the child, and the policeman was befuddled. And the 12 year old boy said this. Every year. I give a flower to my mother on her birthday to let her know I love her. I can't do that. Will you give this to your wife? And tell her of my love and of my parents love. What do you say to that? The man did not know how to respond. And he was haunted by that for days and weeks. Until, as we have said here from this pulpit before, the hound of heaven treed him on Calvary. Weeks after his own conversion, he was imprisoned and he found himself sharing the jail cells of the very people that he had arrested. And singing next to them, shoulder to shoulder, praises of the living God and speaking of his great love. How do you account for this kind of thing? Writing in Al Jazeera, the Middle East-based English language news outlet, regarding families of Emmanuel AME victims under the headline, Christian Forgiveness is Transforming the American South, one writer says what is applicable to all of these situations. The families were simply exercising a fundamental Christian virtue. Anthony Bradley is the author, and he continues later in the article, When we suffer or when our loved ones suffer injustice, the human heart craves revenge, vindication, retaliation. We demand justice. These are also desires that Christ came to save us from. Christians are commanded to respond to injustice with forgiveness. This principle is central to Jesus' teaching in the Lord's Prayer that we pray every week. Some of us are so accustomed to it that we don't even realize what we're praying. But listen to what we pray every week. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. He continues, the swift forgiveness offered by the victim's families, as hard as that must have been, is what Christianity is all about. Forgiveness is an extension of love. It is a manifestation of God's love. Christians extend forgiving love to those who have wronged them, including their enemies, because this is God's own disposition and behavior toward them. Peter recognized the implications of what was happening. Peter recognized. This to some extent as the unavoidable implication of Jesus' teaching regarding status in the kingdom. Because you see, we are children, we are helpless and we are vulnerable and we are insignificant in more ways than any of us in this room can imagine or care to admit. And we will often find ourselves and one another behaving childishly because we are children. This fact will unavoidably involve us in offense and temptation wandering, getting lost, being willful, and it will unavoidably require of us and involve us in the practice of forgiveness. You see, to live and walk together faithfully as children of the king will necessarily and unavoidably involve us in forgiveness. Anthony Bradley calls it a fundamental Christian virtue. Brothers and sisters, it is not just a fundamental Christian virtue. It is the fundamental Christian virtue. It is the gateway virtue through which we must pass if we want to know and grow in the love of our Father in the person of Jesus Christ. We all want to be found faithful in our pursuit and stewardship of our status as children of the King living in his world. We all want to hear the King say to us on that great day, Well well done, child, good and faithful servant. Well done in the stewardship of your status as a man, as a woman, as a parent, as a child, as a husband, as a wife, as a neighbor, as a co-worker. Well done. And so this raises the question, what is involved in living faithfully as children of the king in a loveless, graceless, dog-eat-dog competitive life that we find ourselves in? Well, whatever else is involved, Peter understood that forgiveness was involved. And so Peter comes and he says in verse 21, Lord, how often will will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? We're so long to know the line. We so long want to know the principle. Just tell me the rule. Just tell me what to do. And I'll do it. There was a debate raging in the day and the common consensus and convention, uh, conventional wisdom among the rabbis was, was three times. You forgive three times. And that makes sense to us, those of us who are raised in the culture of baseball. Three strikes and you're out. Now Peter at least knows something of the person of Jesus because he more than doubles the conventional wisdom. Jesus What's the line? When am I free from the obligation to forgive my stubbornly sinful brother? Seven times? I don't think I could do eight. I have a hard time doing one. But if you say seven, I'll do seven. Seven, just parenthetically, is helpful to note, is a number of perfection. Jesus says this. I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or some people might say, but seventy times seven, depending on how you translate the Greek. As one who is absolutely committed to knowing the line and making sure that I'm able to to reach the line, I'm going to go with the seventy-seven. I've been married for coming, oh, 21 years now and counting. And um, I can tell you that Mako has exceeded the 77. So for Mako, I'm going to go with the 70 times 7 translation here. We're forever wanting to find that principle, and Jesus explodes, not just the, the, the question, he explodes the very framework with which Peter is asking the question. And it explodes our framework. Because, brothers and sisters, the love of the Father and, the forgive, and His forgiveness of us through Jesus Christ is far more prodigal than any one of us in this room dare to imagine. Forgiveness is the foundational, it is the primary, it is the gateway practice of faithfulness in the kingdom by which we actually participate in and demonstrate the great love of the Father. For the glory of the Father's love is seen in the forgiving humiliation of Christ, as our call to worship reminds us. That is, the love of a holy God for a profoundly sinful people is the glory of the God we worship. Brothers and sisters, that is why we are in this room today. Because of the abounding mercy and grace of our Father. It is the primary act of the king's own covenant faithful, and it is a primary act by which we receive that mercy and grace to live. Kingdom forgiveness, as we enter into this parable, has, three, has four, at least four characteristics. Kingdom forgiveness is real, it is visible. it is prodigal and it is necessary. And I want you to track with me on that. Notice this: There is a very real debt in this parable that is really forgiven. It is true that the parable uses exaggeration. Look with me there. Verse 23 the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. We're always afraid that the king will wish to settle accounts with us. And so he began to settle, and he brought one to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is a lot of money. One commentator in in this ongoing debate about exactly how much is in view here says millions, perhaps as a function of inflation. But I will tell you, based on some of the calculations I was able to come up with, it is billions. What is in view here is how large and unpayable and unimaginable is this debt. A talent, the, the, the value of a talent is somewhat un, unclear since the talent is primarily a measurement of weight. And so the question is, is it a weight of silver or is it a weight of gold? And so there is some of that debate going on. But another way we can calculate it is to work backward from the denarius. Look there, at, further down in the passage. So the servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred denarii, a denarius, a denarius, was uh, a laborer's day wage. Now, there are some in this congregation who probably know what you would pay someone that you were to invite to work for you a day, for a day, say, from, uh, from Home Depot. But a quick and dirty search on the Internet, and I came up with a generous figure of, say, $15 an hour for a day laborer. Some of you might say, that's too generous. But okay, that's fine. a day for a day laborer. Let's say they're working 10 hours a day. So let's say that factors out to be about $150 a day. That's a denarius. This man owed him 100 denarius. Now, as a rule of thumb, we know that 6,000 denarius equals one talent. So according to how we depending on how we're calculating things, that factors out to be about $900,000. One talent. This man owed 10,000 talents. In case you didn't know, that's a lot of money. I can't say that kind of number. It's too big. The point is not that it's so unimaginable as to be unreal. The point is that the very real debt is of unimaginable proportions. The debt is real. But the debt is also visible. Look what happened. So he went, you know know the story, we just read it. He went and he demanded payment from his fellow servant. The fellow servant said, I can't do it, have mercy on me. He refuses and put him in jail. And his fellow servants are watching this. They're watching this unfold. There is an actual exchange going on between these two people. They know them, they understand the situation, and they're seeing what happened. It is visible. Brothers and sisters, what is in view here is not something that takes place in the quiet private, pietistic darkness of your heart. Forgiveness is something that happens interpersonally and is visible. And so they see it. It's not only visible, but it is also prodigal. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. And he came to this one guy who owed him 10,000 talents. An enormous sum of money that exceeds even our own national debt. But he could not pay, and so he pled mercy. He fell on his knees, have patience with me, and get this. He says, I will pay you everything. Really? Dear friend, I, I love your, your, your desire, but the fact is, this could, it will take you five lifetimes to pay only a portion of it. There's no possible way you can pay all of this. I'll pay you everything. The king responds in a way that I would not respond. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him to go and pay the debt. No. He released him and forgave the debt. Now me, this is how the conversation would go you owe me an amount of money that is unimaginable for you to pay. How much do you think you can pay? All right. We're going to set up a payment plan because I'm going to get at least part of what's coming to me. But this king doesn't do that. He says, I get it. And out of pity for him, releases him and forgave him the debt. Now, some of you will be saying, well, I mean, if I had the kind of money that the king had, I would do that too. And brothers and sisters, that's the point. Even this debt of $10,000 pales in comparison to the amount of wealth that the king has, as unimaginable as it is for our little pea brains. That's the point. It seems so beyond our comprehension. You see, by forgiveness, we grow to know the Father and his love. In the receiving of forgiveness as a little child, we grow to know the abundance of the Father's love. And by granting forgiveness as a child who is so generously received, we participate in the love of the Father. Forgiveness is the posture and it is the practice by which we learn and practice the love of the Father and Jesus Christ. It is also the posture and practice by which the Father's love teaches us again to be children, vulnerable, feeling helpless. Because it teaches us humility and trust and vulnerability. It teaches us to trust the wisdom and the goodness, the truth and the justice and the tenderness of our Father. Forgiveness is the very practical gift by which we actually get to put our money where our mouth is. Do we really want to see his kingdom come? Do we really want to see his will done in our lives as it is in heaven, in the lives of one another as it is in heaven, in the life of our community as it is in heaven, in the life of our city and in our nation, in our world as it is in heaven? Brothers and sisters, this is the will of the father. And so, in Matthew's telling, we're given this test case. The Pharisees come to Jesus with a question similar to, what, to this question that Peter asked. They're also looking, tell us the line. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, I suspect that there might be some of you saying, I sure hope so. Because there was this debate raging that grew from an interpretation, um, a, an exegetical um, argument that was going on with regard to Deuteronomy chapter 24. If a man finds indecency in his wife, he may put her away. And so there was, for centuries, they must have been Presbyterians, they talked about, what do they mean by indecency? And so there was this, there was this uh, argument and there were these three major camps. And Jesus And and these disciples are coming, I mean, the Pharisees are coming to him, and they're going to ask this question because they want Jesus to state his position because that will put him at odds with at least two other camps. The problem is that Jesus doesn't play their games just like he doesn't play our games. And so he presses back prior to Moses, which... In the day, in in um, in Jewish rhetoric, is a trump card, so to speak. Because, because, the first word takes precedence over the second word in Jewish rhetoric. As powerful a word as Moses is, more powerful still is any word that that uh, predates Moses. And so he he pushes all the way back to creation. Oh, hadn't saw that one coming. Yeah, that's right. God created the male and female. God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. What what, what, therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Don't! We're all wrong! The reason that this is a test case is this. Because marriage and all relationships... Provide us with 10,000 little moments to trust the wisdom of the Father over our own wisdom. To trust the power of the Father over our own power. To trust His designs for for His world over our designs for our world to trust that he actually was aware and awake when he brought this person into relationship with you in whatever capacity, husband, wife, parent, child, worker, employee, teacher, student. And it gives us the opportunity to repent of ourselves and rest in the love of the Father. And that is what forgiveness is. Repenting of our own thirst for justice and self-vindication. And resting in the generosity and wisdom and power of our Father's great love in Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, divorce happens because... Due to the hardness of heart whereby we believe that others owe us more than we have been forgiven. And or that we deserve more from those around us. Divorce happens because the practice of forgiveness and fidelity to the king does not. Relationships become strained and threadbare, distant, alienating, alienated and shattered because the practice of forgiveness and faithfulness to the king is absent. Family tensions rise and boil over because the practice of forgiveness in 10,000 little moments and words in faithfulness to the king is absent. Quarrels and gossip, dissension and division happen among friends and school and, and faculty and administration and in neighborhoods and in congregations because the habits of forgiveness are resisted and rejected The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. And we might generalize that and say, If that is the case, it is better to go and find a place on the desert island. But almost immediately, some of you are thinking of the old joke of the man who was rescued from the desert island, and there were two buildings. And the guy says, What's that? Oh, he goes, That's my church. And the guy looks over and he goes, Well, what's that over there? He goes, Oh, that was my previous church. Because it is impossible, being the childish children that we are, to live without the practices of forgiveness. Not everyone can receive this saying. And at the very end, he says, "Let the one who is able to receive this receive it." Some of you will know that'll notice that I've already missed one of the points of forgiveness, because where do we get the ability to do this? Well, brothers and sisters, forgiveness that we practice as a part of our faithfulness to the king and faithfulness in the kingdom is real. It is visible, it is prodigal, and it is necessary. Look with me, chapter 18, verse 32. The, the, The servant now has demanded payment, and the master summons him, and he says this. I forgave you all that debt because you pled with me, you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy. The English translation um, um, tends to even out something that is really stark in the translation. Is it not necessary? Is it not unavoidable? Do not all people function this way? That when I have... When I have had such great mercy on you, you turn and have great mercy on another. That is the way my mercy operates. It is necessary and it is unavoidable. There are objections to this and not least of which is our concern for justice and truth. We want people to know the extent of their guilt and our innocence. I can't forgive until they take responsibility. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly the pattern of the servant in the parable. He was owed real money, but he also owed real money. He his fellow servant pled for mercy and leniency. He pled for mercy and leniency. He received it beyond measure, and he didn't grant it. We want to be justified. We want to be vindicated, and it is this passion that hinders and so often ambushes the practice and power of forgiveness in the pursuit of faithfulness in the kingdom. Because the deep structures of our feelings and thoughts rooted as they are in our culture, culture leave us deeply convinced that we are good people with good intentions and that any reasonable person would understand this. And anyone who would dare to suggest that I may have something to forgive here is a fool or is blind. This deeply held conviction you see blinds us and numbs us to the wonder of the good news. For by minimizing the full dimensions of our debt, we minimize the full dimensions of our Father's mercy. And so it blinds us and binds us from the participation of entering into the love of the triune God. Of tasting it. And of seeing it. And of knowing it. His great love. You see, the mark of a child of the king is an increasingly full, free and full habit of forgiveness that is rooted in the wonder of his great forgiveness and love for us. If the posture and practice of forgiveness is not the increasingly visible distinctive of our heart, mind, And life, we have serious cause to turn again and see if the Christ we worship is the Christ of Scripture. Because this practice of forgiveness in in faithfulness to the King is the deep structure, it is the primary practice of the gospel. It is possible to claim the label Christian and yet know neither Christ nor the gospel of Christ. It is possible for us to believe all manner of Christian doctrine and yet not believe, even refuse to believe, the Christ and the gospel of the Christ. This is what Michael Horton calls Christless Christianity, and it is the Christianity for which secular liberal scholars have been questioning for centuries. It is the Christianity that our culture teaches us and is happy for us to profess and to practice. It is a Christianity without the posture and practices of forgiveness. A, Christ, a Christianity without the posture and practices of forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is a Christianity without Christ. A Christianity without Christ is a Christianity without the gospel. And a Christianity without the gospel is a Christianity without hope. For the good news of the gospel is that by Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the great love of the Father has been poured out for the forgiveness of sins, the payment of a debt, the full extent of which, brothers and sisters, we will never know. That's good news, isn't it? To realize that in the person of Jesus, in his life and his death and his resurrection, that unimaginable debt, my unimaginable debt, your unimaginable debt, our unimaginable debt, has been paid. It's been forgiven. Go. Love. Forgive. Freely fully, and so enter into the fellowship of the triune God. Father, may we, by the powerful working of your Spirit, dare to pass through this call to forgiveness on the basis of your wisdom and your goodness and your bountiful love towards us. And so enter into the fellowship of the love that you and your Son and the Spirit have known for all eternity. For we pray it as your children in Jesus. Amen.
1: We get to respond in submission by singing hymn number 600. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought, please stand and sing with me, number 600.
0: Behold the love of the Father. Behold the love of the Father in the gift of his Son. Behold the love of the Father in the life of his Son. Behold the love of the Father in the grant of a forgiven debt in the death of his Son. Behold the love of the Father in the grant of a new life by the resurrection of the son. Come, children, join to eat, taste and see the sweetness and the wonders of the father's love for you in Jesus Christ. This is how Paul describes it in his letter to the Romans. We read a portion of this earlier this morning. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You see, that's the glory of the God we worship. That he doesn't pour out his love on us when we are no longer sinners, he doesn't pour out his love on us when we get our act together. While we were yet sinners, he pours out his love on us. That is the distinctive glory. through whom we have now received reconciliation. Children, do you recognize here at the table the feast of your Father's love? Then come. Not because you've gotten your act together, not because you've learned all the catechism questions, not because you know your theology, but because He loves you. And he showed it in the person of Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room say are are thinking to yourself, I am far more indebted than I know I cannot possibly. Come to the table, but brothers and sisters, you've got it backwards. That's why you come to the table. Because your debt is unimaginable, if you know yourself to be such a person, then come with rejoicing. And feast fully and freely. Some of you are saying, no, I can't do that. I cannot receive his great mercy. I cannot receive his great forgiveness. Because I am going to get it together. If that is where you are, then rather than taking this meal, which is a feast of the Father's love for you, would you take Jesus We will pray that for you, that the Spirit will grant you courage to open wide your arms to receive the bounty of the Father's love for you through Jesus Christ. If that happens today, would you please let me know? I need to be reminded daily of the power of the gospel Would you let one of the elders know we need to be reminded daily of the power of the gospel? Would you let us in the congregation know so that, as John says, our joy may be full and complete as we celebrate the power of the gospel? So children, come and let us feast at the table of our Father's great love. Let's come to to him in prayer. So, Father, we do come because this is the table that you have prepared because of your great love a love that you have demonstrated with such power and glory through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that by the same Spirit that you raised him from the dead, that now you would set apart these common elements, this bread and this wine, and you would use them for your uncommon purposes, of cause of strengthening us to behold your glory, and of receiving and resting in your great love for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Cause us to marvel, cause us to wonder, cause us to be changed for the display of your glory. We pray these things. Amen. Paul wrote to another letter to another group of believers in Corinth, and he writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, And this is the glory of the Father's love. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, and this is the father's love. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, indeed his resurrection and reign until he comes again in glory. That night, Jesus said to his disciples, look here, this bread is my body, which is given for you. Take it, he says, and eat it in remembrance of me. Christ given for you, Matt, the body of Christ given for you, David, the body of Christ given for you. Brothers and sisters, you, me, we are children of the living God because this is the body of Christ that has been given for you. He died that you might live, so take it, savor it with rejoicing and remembrance of him. Same way, also after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said to his disciples, Look, this cup now is that long-for, promised new covenant that is now ratified in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Your debt is paid, the shame is washed clean, you're made new. So take it and drink it in remembrance of me. Please remember that as the trays come around, the outside ring is juice, the inside rings are wine. I did not mention before but please uh, hold the elements until they all have been served and we'll partake together.